<clears throat> and uh, we will not keep you real long this afternoon, Lord willing. Um, but there are times, I, my dad used to, he preached pastor to church for almost 40 years, 39 and a half years. And uh, there were often times he got up sick and got ready to preach. And he said, if you can just get me, get me behind the pulpit and let me start preaching, he said, I'll feel better. <laughs> and so we never know. But hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll uh, keep the time in mind this afternoon as well. We're going to begin in verse number 1 once again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1, and we're going to read down through around verse number 17. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for his sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, or unclean person, or covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those uh, things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We find several areas here that Paul deals with. Uh, in this chapter, with regards to how we're to live. And uh, again, he, he starts the, the chapter off about being followers of God as dear children. And the idea being that God has left us uh, with several things to help instruct us and guide us uh, in the way of living. And one of them is uh, He's given us His Word. And His Word uh, was given, I, I believe, primarily, and you could say there are other reasons, but I believe they would all fall under two main reasons why the Bible was given to us. One of them was to show us uh, our need and how to be saved. Uh, and then secondly, to show us how we were to live once we were saved and to know God's heart, His moral standard. And uh, so we find that He's given us His Word. But the other thing that He has given to us is an example. Uh, Peter speaks of this. He speaks about the fact that Christ has uh, given us an example that we should follow in His steps. And as we look and study the life of Christ in His earthly ministry, we see a, a fine example of what we're to be emulating or be followers of. The Apostle Paul is the only writer in Scripture that God allowed to, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to pin the words, Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. And so even Paul uh, could be used as an example of how we're to live our lives. And uh, we find that, so God gives us some things to help us 
uh, understand how to live. And uh, he deals with three areas, I believe, in the first part of this chapter. Uh, the first one is dealing with uh, living as the children of God, being followers of God as dear children. Uh, and so we're to live as though we are a child of the King, the child of God. We represent Him. The Bible says that we are His ambassadors to this world. And the way that we live, in a large part, reflects... Uh, upon our God. Are we bringing praise to Him? Are we bringing glory to Him? When people see our life, do they see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven? Or do we live in such a way that we bring a reproach to the cause of Christ? When people look at our life, do they look at Christ and say, well, uh, there, there's fault to be found in that belief system. There's fault to be found in, in that uh, direction of, of belief. Uh, or, or are they encouraged in it? So, he challenges us in the first part of this chapter that we are to walk as children of God. Because we belong to Him, uh, we are representative of Him. Well, that's why it's so important. And over and over in Scripture, uh, Paul talks about, and other writers, Peter and John, some of these guys speak so highly of, and they use the phrase, walking in the Spirit. Walking in such a way that we have an outward testimony. Uh, that reflects on us belonging to Him. Uh, there is something different about us. There's something that changed on the inside. And it needs to become apparent. We live in a day where uh, we are taught uh, on every side, we are pressured on every side, uh, that it really doesn't matter how we live our lives outwardly. What matters is, is my heart right? And we've been taught that for so many years, and the, the problem with that is, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does say that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And of course, he was dealing with uh, uh, the time of uh, 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 anointing David as king of Israel. So the application of that passage, I think, has been taken out of its context in a large part. But even if we were to take that out of context... We are left in this world once we are saved. We are left in this world because God has a work. He doesn't need us to do it. He can choose anything He created to do it. But He has allowed us the great privilege to be a part of it. And that great work is to take the message that He has for every man and to give it to every man. And so if you keep this in mind, that our responsibility once we are saved is to reach men with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we take the philosophy or the mindset that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Can I encourage us in this, that yes, God does look on the heart, and out of the two, that is the most important to Him. But man does also look on the outside. And while we may sit here today and say, well, God knows my heart, that's true. But your lost neighbor doesn't see your heart. Your lost uh, friend or your lost family member, your lost co-worker doesn't see your heart. What he sees is the outside. I was reading uh, about a missionary, an old uh, uh, 1800s Lutheran missionary here uh, the other day. I was reading a little bit about his life. And he came out with a, a statement when he was dealing with parents one day. And he said the, uh, the greatest way to teach your children to, to be godly is by example. He says three ways. By example is the first way. The second way is by example. And the third way is by example. 
He said it's very, very important. You can teach your, your kids. You can teach people around you. But more is caught than is taught. And I don't know if we understand that truth uh, as, as strongly as we should in a lot of ways. But how often would there be opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who does not know the, the, that Christ died to save them? And our testimony, our outward living, has been a hindrance to that message rather than a benefit or a help to that message. So Paul is, is addressing a church here. He says, be ye followers of God as dear children. We're to walk as the children of God. And he deals with this as we get to uh, verse number 2. He says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling <coughs> sweet smelling savor. And this verse, I think, can be taken a couple of different ways. Some people would look at that and say that we are to walk in love, meaning we're to have love outwardly for other people. But I believe also that this is dealing with the fact that we are to, within the context, the fact that we're to be followers of God as dear children, and then he goes on to tell us some things further. I really believe that this verse is saying that we're to walk not in our love for others, but in the love that God has for us. Notice what it says here. And walk in love as Christ also hath what? Loved us. So this love that Christ has for us, we're to walk in that. This, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice for God. Notice this, a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, our life ought to be something that when God looks at it, He looks at it with, a, with an idea that this is His life, that testimony is a sweet-smelling savor to me. Why? Because he's walking in my love for him. He goes on to say, verse number 3, but fornication and how much? All uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be what? Once named among you as becometh saints. It should have no part of us. And so when we walk as children of light, we need to see that Paul, Paul says there's some areas that we really specifically need to put the magnifying glass on and focus on, and, and in regards to these areas especially. They, they, they had as much of a problem with these things in Paul's day as we have in the day that we live. And the first area he deals with here is the idea of fornication and all uncleanness. And this is dealing with more sensual sins, sins of, 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 of lust and things that ought not to even be named among the saints. It's amazing to me in my lifetime, uh, years ago when I was a kid, uh, when people lived together outside of the bonds of marriage, we called it shacking up, and it was shameful. It's something that you looked at people and you kind of were like, man, I can't believe they're doing that. Nowadays, it's an expected thing. Now, to have, uh, to have relationships physically before marriage used to be looked at on as, as people that were, that were away from the, God, from the Lord and, and people that were the children of disobedience and was identified mainly with unsaved people and people that didn't know any better or people that, even though they knew better, were defying what God's moral law was. And we would look at it that way. We would look at it with disdain and with shame and with reproach. Nowadays, in our churches, when there's dating going on, then there are relationships that are given before marriage. And Paul is saying, listen, this ought not even once be named among the children of God. We're to be walking as the children of God. 
There, there's, there's not nearly enough preaching on the idea of purity in the day that we live. And the reason is because the impurity of the world has infiltrated our churches so much that we're not comfortable preaching on the subject. We, we say, well, you just got to understand, Brother Greg, those were, those were the old days. Those were the days that, you know, our society has changed. It may have changed, but my God and His moral law has not. And so when we drift according to the world, when we follow after and say, I'm still at a distance from the world, but we've moved with the world, then there's a problem there. And now we see a lot of things going on in the, under the guise of, of God giving me forgiveness. Well, I'm thankful God does forgive us. I'm thankful that God does, when we sin and we do these things, I'm thankful that He's still there to restore a relationship and fellowship with us. But I will say this, that that does not give us the grounds to go out here then and to do the sin expecting for God's forgiveness and for God's restoration of relationship. Paul said it ought not even be named among us. Because there is a world that needs to be reached with the gospel, and you and I as His children have a testimony. We have, we have a family name that we bring reproach to when we regard these things. Fornication is not just things that are seen uh, as far as our purity outwardly, but even those things secretly that, that take place in our hearts. The sin of the mind, somebody said years ago, is one of the most common sins among Christians. And the reason being is because we don't think anybody else sees it. And so we begin to, and, and we begin to have uh, uh, mindsets of feeding our eyes and our ears with things that are impure and ungodly, things that are of a sensual nature, and things that are, uh, are in, of the impure things of this world. And when we enjoy them inwardly, while we may not practice or act on them outwardly, oftentimes we'll harbor them in our hearts. And Paul says it ought not even be uh, named once among us. We're to abstain from these things. We're to, we're to flee from these things. Fornication ought to be one of those things that is so detested by us and that we are so afraid of and so scared of, as soon as we even see a glimmer of it, we ought to be fleeing from it instead of running to it, instead of coddling our nature and doing the things that make us feel good. There ought to be, there ought to be a, a, a hatred. There ought to be an eschewing of the evil when it comes to this thing of fornication and uncleanness. He also speaks here in verse 3 of covetousness. The idea of covetousness and having an unworldly desire for the things that others are able to enjoy. And covetousness doesn't always have to be over material things. Have you noticed that? Sometimes we may covet a, 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 a lifestyle that somebody's living. We may say, boy, I wish I could live like that, but I'm a Christian. I just can't do it. Can I tell you, that ought not ever be the heart of a Christian. But for the grace of God, we used to be that way. We used to walk in those things. We used to be a part of that darkness. But now we're children of light. We're supposed to walk that way. We're now a child of the King. We're to be representative of Him. There's something now inside of us that is different than what it was before. And so Paul says, put this stuff away. We're to walk in the love that Christ has had for us, and we don't use the occasion of God's love and His forgiveness as an excuse to justify our wrongdoing. He says, "Neither he says, let it not once... When people speak of your name, those things should never come to mind. You know, the Bible tells us we ought to live in such a way that when men make an accusation against us, there ought not to be any grounds for that. People would look at that and say, no, there's no way. I know that person. 
Well, to live in such a way and in, in such high, uh, above reproach, I think would be the best way to, to put that, that word. Above being able to have someone give a, a, an accusation to where if an accusation was made, the initial thought of the first people that hear it is, no, not that person. There's no way. I understand, but for the grace of God, we all can fall. We all can get into sin. And I understand that idea. But we ought to have our character so high so much, so, so far uh, moving towards the things of God, that if ever uh, uh, an accusation ever came up about us, people would say, oh, that's not so. There's no way. It couldn't be. My dad used to years ago tell of a story of a very, very wealthy man who lived on the top of a hill, and uh, he had lost his chauffeur after many years, and they put an ad out for a new chauffeur. And uh, three men showed up, and they... Uh, got to the man's house on the day that they were supposed to be interviewed, and he said, I'm going to have each of you drive down the mountain. And uh, he said, at the end of seeing how each of you handle the car, how skillful you are with it, he said, I'll determine who I get. And the first man got up there, and he went down that hill, and boy, he was talented. He he flew around those curves and and slid and drifted just right and brought those tires within just about 12 inches uh, of the cliff and, and kept right on down the road. And uh, just had that car under perfect control. And uh, he said, boy, that was pretty good. And the second man said, I can do better than that. And the second man got in and he went a little bit faster and even came a little closer and even higher precision and control of that car. And then the third man got up and he got in that car and he drove really slow and hugged the corner, hugged up next to the wall of the mountain on the way down. You know which one the man hired, don't you? He hired the man that was careful because he wasn't interested in seeing how close these men could come to disaster. He was interested in the one that would keep him the safest and the furthest from it. And we, we see an illustration like that. We say, well, Pastor, that's just a story. There's an awful lot of truth in God's Word that teaches us that when it comes to our lifestyle, we should not get as close to the sin as we possibly can. But rather, we should stay as far away from it. There ought, to be, there ought to be a level of character and integrity and righteousness and holiness about us that when men look at us, there, there ought to be such a, a testimony there that it would not even once be named among us. They wouldn't even think of making such an accusation. Why? Because we're a child of God and we represent Him. Our life is not a representation of who we are. Our life is a representation of who He is. And we need to live in such a way. We've got to be careful. The day that we live in, so many people say, well, I've just got to be better than my neighbor. I've got to be better than this person or that person. Can I tell you this? They have never been, nor will ever be, our measure of moral excellence or virtue. Our measure of moral excellence and virtue is how far do I line up with the Word of God and His moral law. His, His idea of morality and cleanliness and holiness and righteousness. We're children of God and so we're supposed to walk in such a way. Notice in verse number 4, he says, "...neither filthiness nor foolish talking." nor jesting, and this would be the, the, the dirty talking and the innuendos and the, the things where you say one thing and mean another and out of humor say things that are not appropriate. And he says this, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. 
let's, let's let our words, let's let our speech, let's let our actions be something that exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let's, let's let our actions, let's let our lifestyle be something that picture the Lord Jesus Christ. Not something that we look at and say, I, I don't want to be known as the holier than thou or the goody two-shoes. Can I tell you this? I'd rather somebody accuse me of being too right than for somebody to accuse me of being too worldly. I don't do it arrogantly, and I don't think we ought ever live in such a way that we look down our noses and are arrogant at people that don't live the way we do. I do believe that we ought to strive to be as close to Christ-like as we possibly can. That we ought to put forth every effort to do such a thing. To abstain from these things that used to be in our lives that ought not have any place in it anymore. These things ought to be things we, we, we flee away from, we push away from. For know this, in verse number 5, For this you know, that no whoremonger or unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I believe that speaks a lot of the loss of rewards for those that are Christians, and certainly the fact that those that are uh, uh, the children of disobedience that we find in verse number 6 will have no part in the things of God. We find in verse number 7, he says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. If we know from verse number 6, and we do, that such things brings God's wrath, why in the world would we want to have any part of them? If my heart as a child of God is that I love Him, and I know that there's something that brings Him wrath and anger, why would I do it? I was talking to a, a fellow the other day, a Christian friend of mine here in town, and uh, we were discussing some things, and we brought up the, the idea of Lot. I think I mentioned this uh, Wednesday night, perhaps, or last Sunday maybe. And it was amazing to me, because I had never really thought of this. I've, I've read and known the story of Lot many, many times. And he brought up a statement that I had not thought of before. And he said, you know, here, here's Lot and his, his daughters and his wife, and they're fleeing Sodom. And the reason they're fleeing was known to them. God didn't keep hidden what He was getting ready to do in Sodom, did He? In fact, He told them. He said, I'm getting ready to destroy this place. And He even gave them instructions. He says, don't even look back. The, the destruction that I'm bringing on Sodom, my wrath, my anger towards what Sodom was practicing is so great that I'm just wiping them off the earth. And so he rains down fire, and the Bible says it's fire and brimstone came down and destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is an interesting thought that he brought up. He said, Lot's wife, knowing the wrath that God had over that lifestyle, still looked back with desire for that lifestyle. Just Lot. The man that the Bible referred to as a just man. His wife, knowing the wrath of God on these things, looked back and said, I long for them. Why is it that in the day we live, things that we look in Scripture and we see, it's the wrath of God on these things. Why is it that we still have an issue of desiring them? 
We still have a longing for them. Whether in public or in secret, our hearts are gravitated toward them. They're pulled towards them. And Paul tells the church at Ephesus, you're children of God. Don't even let these things once be named among you. Not even once. Don't even get close to the edge. Stay as far away from that as possible. He goes on to say here, be ye therefore partakers with them. That be, be not, yeah, that's not what he said. Let's back that one up, reread that one. Be not, there we go, ye there, that little three letter word makes a big difference in how that verse reads. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He speaks first of walking as children of God, and he brings up some things we ought to be abstaining from and being careful of. And then he talks here of walking as children of light, and he, he deals with a couple of things. I believe that walking as children of God is dealing with our heart condition regarding some things, how we view stuff. And can I encourage us in this? In order for me to be in agreement and the Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? For me to be in agreement with God and be in fellowship with Him, then my heart has to be the same on matters as His heart. My will has to be the same on matters as His will. And when my will is different than His, then we're not walking in agreement. And fellowship is broken there. And so he deals here now with walking as children of light, and I believe he's dealing here with our conscience. As he speaks of this, he, he, he focuses in on one area. Notice what it says here. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and what? Truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 19. He said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I want everything that I say to be acceptable to Him. But more importantly, I want every thought and intent of my heart to be acceptable in the sight of God. When God looks at the thoughts I have and the, the desires that I have and the, 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 the actions that I do, I want Him to look down there and say, I can put my stamp of approval. Years ago, uh, there was a particular uh, clothing uh, company out there that had uh, the, little, the little tags they put in there, inspected by Inspector, what, 8 or whatever it was, or 13. They had a big commercial series on it years ago, and what that meant was that that garment had been inspected by that person, had met the requirements of the quality control, and that inspector was able to stamp it and say, this garment is good and it's approved. When God looks at you and I, He inspects according to His holiness, according to His righteousness, according to His character and His moral standards. And our hearts ought to long for when, him, when He looks at us that way, for him to be able to say, this has been inspected, it has met the requirements, and it is approved. Everything we do, everything we say, 
But most importantly, even the intents of the heart need to meet that requirement. In the book of Romans, it talks about the fact that we need to uh, be not conformed, the Bible says, or to, this, uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is just what is, this is just what is expected of a Christian. This is not going above and beyond the call of duty. This isn't, this isn't uh, the superhero Christian that's that's at the top tier level of Christianity. This this is the heart of an average Christian who's just been changed by the glory of God, by the fact that God came into him and made out of him a new creature. Old things were passed away; all things became new. And this is something that ought to be the standard. This ought to be the norm of the Christian life. But we live in a day and a time where if we're not careful, we will look at somebody that holds to this type of a view as somebody that's fanatical for God. Somebody that's at the extreme. No, no. This is just what God expects. This ought, this ought not even be a struggle for us. This ought to be Christianity 101. We build on top of these things. This is not something extraordinary. We're to walk as children of God. We're to walk as children of light. And we are to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord, both in our speech, in our actions, in our heart, in every area. Do we meet God's acceptable standard? I'll be real frank with you. There are a lot of nights I get home and I reflect on my day and I think, you know, that didn't meet God's standard. And I have to confess that. I have to get those things right. And there are times I'm mortified at evening time. I have a hard time even getting to go to sleep that night thinking, Lord, I've messed up here. I did not meet a standard that I knew to be true from Your Word. I've missed that point. I want my life, and I think every Christian ought to be to the place where just it is the normal desire for us to just meet the standard that God says, that's acceptable to me. That meets my standard. Oh, that we would learn to walk this way. You say, are we ever going to get to that point where we just never have a problem in that area? No. We'll always battle it till the day we get to heaven. But I'm so grateful that the end is near, aren't you? And there's going to come a day where we're going to be delivered from this body of sin and it won't be a problem anymore. Until then, we need to make sure we do diligence to guard against it. Are we accountable to God? Are we acceptable to Him? And then I want you to notice thirdly, verse number 11. He says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't go and be friendly to and try to reach people that need help. But we are not to be at all, at all associated with their works. Let me rephrase that. We are not to be at all associated with their works. Can I say it one other way? We are not to be at all associated with their works, but we are to love them. We are to do what we can to reach them with the Word of God. But we're living in a day where people tell us that in order to reach them, you have to be like them. That is not what the Bible says. It tells us here that we're to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Their works that they're doing, zero tolerance. Not not just a little bit, a little dabble, get my foot in the door, commonality here. 
It's, no, I'm not having that at all. Those works are things I will not be a part of. There is to be no fellowship with those unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now, I want you to notice the third thing here. But as all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I believe that's dealing with somebody who was dead in their sins and trespasses. That God has, some people preach this passage, they say, well, no, that's a, that's a, a Christian that's asleep. But he uses the word here, arise from the dead. And Christ shall give thee light. And what happens when we get saved? We are made alive. We're quickened, aren't we? We're raised from the dead. And God gives us light. We now begin to understand the things that we couldn't understand as the natural man. And so I believe this verse is dealing primarily with the fact of someone getting saved. And I believe it goes on to follow in verse 15. See then... Wait a minute, what do you mean see then? When you get saved, once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We aren't to walk the same way we were before we got saved. We're not to do the same things we did before we got saved. We used to sing a song years ago on our bus route, The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. And we'd sing the little chorus on that. We'd talk about the places we used to go. We don't go there anymore. The friends we used to have, we don't have them anymore. There ought to be a change. Not just a change, but a great change in our life. There ought to be something noticeable. He says this, Wherefore, awake thou that sleepest and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You know the implication here is this, that before we were saved, we were walking as fools. It's the implication. And the other implication is this, that if we don't follow after walking circumspectly and making sure that we do, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly. That even as Christians, we can continue, if we're not careful, to walk as fools. He says, walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. Be aware. Understand. Understand what? Well, he deals deals with several things that we're to understand. He says, first of all, understanding, look with me in verse number 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the what? will of the Lord is. This is walking circumspectly. To live daily saying, Lord, I want to know Your will. I want to understand Your will. I don't know how many times I've had people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, how do I know God's will for my life? And I wish I could just sit here and say, here's what it is, and give it to them. But I don't know God's will for your life. It's all, all I know to know God's will for my life. I can't tell you what God's will is for your life in a lot of ways. But I will say this, and and what we mean oftentimes when we say that is, we're not really wondering what God's will is. What we're really wondering is, what is God's plan for me within His will? 
Because really, if we say, what is God's will for my life? He gives us His will right here. We know God's will by His Word. There's no doubt about it. He makes it very clear. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think that tells us pretty clearly what God's will is in that area, don't we? The idea that, that God wants us to walk circumspectly. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. He makes pretty evident what His will is, doesn't He? The problem is not in not knowing God's will. It's in doing the will of God that we already know. And then what we often mean when we say, how do I know what God's will is? What we really mean by that is, what is God's plan for me practically now within His will? Can I tell you this? When we get saved... Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as wise, but as fools, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And he makes this statement, wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You say, what is the will of the Lord? Well, he fills his word with it. I think it's interesting that the very next verse is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I would think that that would be a pretty good indicator of what God's will is that we be filled with the Spirit. We could go all through Scripture. We could spend all, all day going through Scripture showing and saying, God showed us what His heart is on this matter. God showed us what His heart is on this matter, whether it be for good or for, be, for evil. Some things He says, I hate these things. Other things He says, I love these things. I don't think there really is any difficulty in understanding God's will. Sometimes we may struggle with knowing His plan. We're to walk circumspectly and not as fools. And it speaks here to our understanding of two things. Number one, I think, is His will, which He speaks of here. But secondly, I think we're to understand the urgency of time. Notice what He says here in verse number 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. To take advantage of every opportunity that God affords us. To take advantage of every opportunity that He affords us. I was talking last night to Miss Belinda. We were sitting in Ron's, Ron's room. And I said, you know, we don't have much time. We are talking about the rapture. I said, I, I think that the rapture is just around the corner. I really do. But I was talking to Jonathan this week, and I told him, I said, you know, if, if I live a life that the Bible talks about as kind of an average level of life, which is three score and ten. I said, I've only got 18 years left. That's not a lot of time. When I was 20, when I was 30, I didn't give any thought to the fact that time is short. It seemed like, boy, that's so far off. Now I'm sitting here at almost 52 years of age thinking, where did it go? I have far, far less time in front of me than I have behind me. Redeeming the time. Don't have a lot of time. Somebody says, well, how much time do you have? The answer is not a whole lot. The Bible says that this life is a vapor. Just here and gone. It's here for a little while and vanisheth away. The rapture's coming. Some of us have had more miles and more years behind us than we have before us. And if there's any motivating factor that ought to cause us to redeem the time, it ought to be that thought. I don't have a lot of time left. 
whether by the rapture or by death, there's not a lot of time left. And Paul tells the church, you need to be understanding of this. Not walking as fools, but as wise. Let's wisely use the time that we have left to take advantage of every opportunity in the times and the, occasion, the occasions that God brings across our path. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. We're living in a day where Christians are losing the battle. They're losing the fight. They're losing the, the, the work that we're to be doing of reaching this world with the gospel. We are making less and less progress in these areas because we fail to redeem the time. And we fail to be filled with the Spirit. We're to live as children of God. We're to live as children of light. And we're to live wisely, understanding what God's will is and the urgency of the hour. I hope and pray that we will take to heart some of the things we've learned in Ephesians 5 today. We're in a great, great decline of morality and holiness Christian character. And there is a need, if ever there is a need, there is a need now for men and women, God's people, to say, we're going to hold the line. When I was a, a young person, I remember going to camp one year, and every year they divided us up into teams, and we had competitions. And I was, <clears throat> I prayed and fasted every year before I went to camp. Not really, but I did pray. I didn't fast, but I did pray. Lord, put me on a winning team this year. Every year, my team came in last. Every single year, it came in last. And I don't know why. I guess because we were from a small church. We always got grouped in with all these other small churches. And but one of the one of the competitions was a giant tug of war. We had about thirty people on our team. And I'll never forget the year that we got there, and I got put on a team, and there was a there was a fellow that was um, plump, was, I'll say fluffy. To be kind, he was obese. And young teen, older, older teenager, but, you know, young person. And this guy was the biggest guy in camp by far. And I said, Lord, please let me get on his team. And sure enough, I got, he got on my team. And the time came for the tug of war. And there was a bunch of us scrawny little guys. We were, you know, 80 pounds soaking wet. And they were big muscular guys on the other side of that line. And we started going on that tug of war. I can remember and I can see it. And we had the flag that had to go across the line. And we began to lose ground. These, these strong guys pulling began to lose some ground. And I looked back at the end of the rope and our anchor guy, this guy that was heavy set, he took that rope and I'll never forget it. Took and he wrapped it around his body. And he laid back and he dug his heels into the ground and just sat there. And those guys never made another ounce of progress. They got tired and eventually when they got tired, he began to pull. And when he began to pull, we began to make a little bit of progress. And we ended up for the first time ever winning one of the competitions. We didn't win for the week, but we won that one. And I thought of that as I thought of the condition our world is in and Christianity is in today. We've been being pulled by the world. And at some point, some of us have to dig our heels in, put them in the ground and say, I'm not moving an inch further. 
And as I'm able to, I'm going to gain some ground that I've lost. I'm going to dig it in. I'm not going to go anymore. And folks, we're living in a day where there needs to be a revival of God's people saying, we're going to follow the Bible. We're going to follow what God's moral law is. And we're going to do what is right, regardless of what people say around us. It was bad enough when the world criticized us for doing right. We're living in a day where now God's people, I can't even say that, those that call themselves God's people, and even churches criticize and speak evil of those that would do right. They look at those of us that would stay true to Scripture as the deviants. And I'll tell you this, we need to be careful that we don't let that pressure, that criticism affect us. But that we dig our heels in and we stand firm. Paul said in chapter number 6 of Ephesians, And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, may You help us in the day that we live to have the testimony before You. Lord, we really we want, to, we want to certainly be a testimony before other men. But Lord, may we not be susceptible to their criticism for doing right. May we not, may we not be embarrassed. May we not be pressured or conformed to do wrong because of their pressure and their criticism of us. But may we be steadfast. May, may our heart be bent on pleasing You and You alone. May we be steadfast. May we be unmovable. Lord, help us to be always abounding in Your work. And Father, I pray that there would be something that would cause us to dig deep. Perhaps just a commitment to You. Perhaps getting someone alongside of us that we can be accountable with. Whatever it would take for us to make a commitment to say, I'm going to, I'm going to stand fast. I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to change. Father, may we be pleasing to You. May we be glorifying to You. And above all, Lord, help us to not be a reproach. Help us not to do anything that would cause this world to look at You in a negative light. May we live in such a way and our testimonies be such that it would be pleasing to You and acceptable to You. Dismiss us now with Your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.